Borag Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 196th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxies-based comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for February 1989, Prog 612 to 615. This time, Tanner heads to the roof. <laughs> Judge Anderson goes clubbing. Swifty returns and crashes two parties. Pretty rad. Strontium, yeah, Strontium Dog gets a little peek in, and we'll see both the revenge of a spider woman and a little blue man. It's a weird one. This is yeah. uh, it's, this is fine. I mean, I, we kind of said this when we first started. It's fine. It's a fine. fine. Yeah, February's dance. fine. Yeah. Exactly. That's its, that's its motto. <laughs> April's the cruelest month, but February's fine, buddy. Oh, um, no. <laughs> if you would already along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 12, the F- Judge Anderson, the Sci Files 1, the Sooner or Later Collection, Strontium Dog, the Final Solution, and the Judge Dredd Magazines 338 and 345. Cool. Yeah, you know, just a lot of stuff. I think that's where you'll find the reprint. Uh, yeah, well, that uh, no, that that that's where where you'll find a Night Zero, I believe. Oh, and um, I think what's the other one? One of these other ones, Fox. Zippy Delivery Service. <laughs> no, that's never been reprinted. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, wow. Tales Tales of the Doghouse. Um, ah, you'll find that. Uh, that's, that's, that's okay. That one is. Yeah, no, uh, Zippy Zippy Couriers and a lot of Hillary Robinson stuff got. Uh, oh, like, that's right. She some, retained the rights. Yeah, she's got some copyright disputes, so they've never been reprinted. Ooh. Anyway. But speaking of a of of a of, of a of a perhaps um, less acrimonious relationship with uh, female thrill power fox, <laughs> thrill one Judge Anderson. Man, you, fucking no one can catch a break at this damn city. <laughs> nope. Oh, sorry. Or maybe a uh, Anderson side vision. Sorry, I got that there wrong. Anyway. <clears throat> Uh, script robot Alan Grant, art robots Mick Austin and David A. Roach, mm-hmm. letting robot Tom Frame and Steve Potter. Who so, boy, hitting enlightenment! Yeah. Hitting enlightenment has never been so hard. Exactly. Uh, first time in the prog for Mick Austin, not counting covers, and he'll be in a lot of stuff this year, also as well as just um, he'll be in like specials and annuals, actually a lot, and then just doing um, stuff in the prog going forward. Mm. We see a monk type dude meditating pretty heavily. He's yeah, I'm just like seen, a monk type. You know, I'd say I'm like Ma- Mahatma Curious. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's seen the whole of reality and has reached a, finally a state of pure nirvana. As he does, there's a massive flash, sci flash inside a vision. Very intense, but somehow also peaceful and holy, I guess. Mm. And it's coming from the Mahata, Ma- Mahatma Coat Monastery, which I think might be named for the parody, like, like for a comedy character from a, a, a football show in England. Okay. But I'm not sure about the timeline of that. Anyway, better send Anderson over to check it out, as you do. <laughs> yes, I mean, just always. I like how they're just like, oh, who's on like street duty in 17? It's like, meh, it's always Anderson, man. I mean, it's just like how whenever there's crimes, Judge Dredd, when, when there's regular yeah, crimes, Judge Dredd happens to be nearby, yeah. you know. I, you just got to imagine there's all this stuff happening constantly around Mega City One, and we're That's just following very true. people we know. You know, it's a terrifying place. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, this meditating guy's entering various states of reality, and he finally steps into the void, the abyss. Uh, wrong get up station, I guess, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 
Anderson. Anderson approaches the monastery and rings the front door gong as she reflects the nature of reality. Oh, that's pretty hey. great. I didn't notice that it was a gong. <laughs> yeah, come on. A, a young mug greets her and leads her through the monastery where we see that the Mahatma's door has been bricked up and has been for the past 30 years. Oh, okay. That seems fine. Fine. Fair. Good. good times. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Mahatma himself is traveling through the walls of reality into limbo. But there he finds only death. Judge death, that is. Whoa. Greetings. How, how does he do a poops? The monk guy? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not eating a lot, I gotta say. we In the next uh, episode, they talk about that they basically feed him 12 grains of rice and a trickle of water a day. Yeah. Like, you gotta think either he's just absorbing it all, or they're so small and inoffensive that he can just use them to maintain his wall uh, <sighs> bricking, you know? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Hard questions, Fox. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> in... <laughs> In limbo, Judge Death snags the Mahatma and eats his spiritual form, and he prepares to follow the mystic spirit back to his body and thus return to reality. Yeah, it seems legit. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool, actually. We, we last saw Death and his Dark Judge buddies be confined to limbo mm -hmm. in Prague 427 in summer of uh, 1985. So pretty much four years ago. That's a good like amount to wait for a big rogues gallery, you know, person yeah. to dread here, you know? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't stay around long. No, I mean, this is very much <coughs> much him checking in, I think. It's like, hey, I'm still um, here. <laughs> just FYI, you know. <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm still around. Don't mind yeah, the reprint. It, Right. Well, I mean, it, it's it's like uh, oh god, more wrestling stuff. But uh, oh. in in the in the run up to, to to events that have a ton of people, like uh, the uh, the 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 uh, the Royal Rumble or something like that, where there's going to be where there's going to be it's a thirty person match, and thus they need thirty people to be active. Oh yeah, they'll bring people that might be on the bottom of the card, sort of up into the main shows, just to remind you that like, hey, this is, these are people that exist on the roster. You know? Yeah, man. Back when Battle Royale used to actually means something different it was a different is it, you know it's yeah it's it, it's a different time but anyway um yeah this is um so anderson senses death's arrival prepares to a burst into the manhattan's room as this young monk tries to stop her death travels the spiritual vastness basically backwards from where the mahatma did but and as he starts to materialize in in reality, Anderson high X's through the bricked wall Damn. and caps that Maga that Mahatma like a common Alana. He shoots him <laughs> while he's sitting. Beautiful. Um, yeah, bad times. You know, it was it was him or death, basically. Mm, what you say? Oh, he only meant well. Well, of course he did. Later, um, Anderson is debriefed by Judge by Chief Judge Silver, looking pretty different. Um, I gotta say, yeah. Um, Looking a little Basically, bit, uh, yeah, off model here. Yeah. The killing had to be done, and we'd better just step up our side monitoring, monitoring. But you know, I mean, the problem with death is just that, like, we can't really kill him, and if he can find a way back from limbo, we'll be in trouble, and that's not good at all. I mean, I, I like, I mean, he's sort of look, man, there's like a whole infrastructure of psi people, and we've seen that they like check in on your business to make sure that you're not doing a goof. Uh, yeah. And you'd think before she would ever go to the chief judge, uh, chief judge and be like, this is what's up. He would have known all of this. But instead, he's just like, oh, how can I even trust you that it was totally this guy? And it's like, man, he's who else? 
who other than her would be a fucking expert at this point? Man, Silver doesn't get those kinds of briefings. You know, that goes to the head of side division and sort of stops there. You yeah, know? but then you just got to check in with that guy. <laughs> I feel you like. You know, it's a whole thing. All right. Anyway, the end of this story, uh, Judge Death will return, I say Ooh. ominously. Um, David Roach is on art now, and we'll, of course, remember him from a purity story, a nemesis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A man in a hospital bed is shown an image of a hypothalamus in the brain, complex part of it called the Devil's Playground, and a voice tells him that monofilament wire is now being fished into his thinking meat to find his amygdala. And man, oh man, uh, this here guy really enjoys drawing himself a... uh uh, and a pained expression of various types. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, dudes in pain and ladies looking sexy. It's yeah. good times. Uh, <laughs> wow. Also true. <laughs> uh, with the monofilament wire in the amygdala, the voice says he can supply some psi power to it and turns even the meekest man into a hate-filled uh, maniac. Okay. Meanwhile... Oh. Judge Anderson's working a case with Judge Barony. They're finding some hostages. Yeah. She reaches out, but um, in her attempts to find them, she's blocked by a big bus accident. <laughs> and so we need to get closer. The two judges ride out, basically finding where the bus accident is and then working out from there. And him just giving her a whole bunch of guff, you know? Get out of here, faceless well, dude. Barony. I mean, I... I wish we saw one or two times where these sighs weren't, like, successful. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Because it seems like they really always get results in a way that a regular judge couldn't. So it seems weird that... They like, do the both, down talking to him, you know? Yeah. Like that dread and regular judges sort of are so are so mean to them constantly. Yeah. I mean, like, they aren't, like, I guess, as disciplined. But, I mean, come on, man. Like, they, you know, again... Get results. I, I mean, I guess, <laughs> unlike the other fucking faceless mooks, uh, they get to go dancing once in a while. That seems... Exactly. <laughs> that seems yeah. like a perk, I guess. At the accident, Anderson spends a moment to zero in, then uh, finds the hostage takers, shoots them down, and is able to skip out on the paperwork. Because, you know, she found them, so you write it, as yep. you do. We see a bearded man possibly overseeing this brain surgery stuff. He's doing a, a psychic voice- talk. Yeah, that's what it seems like. As a voice describes the horrors that an activated amygdala can cause. Like they did it to a monkey. It just left him in a room alone. And he gouged his own eyes out and I, stuff. God, I guess that's one way to do the experiment. Hey, listen. I mean, that that that, that honestly sounds like that's one of those like uh, like Dr. Mengele experiments that yeah. we're sort of happy that we had a period of Nazis to do these crazy <laughs> things. Like, Oof. you know. They won't say it, but it is lucky that there was sort of a... A uh, horrible shit person who did some horrible fucking things. Yeah, that there that there was a science program that self-identified as evil to, wow. like, do yeah. stuff like, you know, uh, uh, sewing twins together or swapping eyes around and seeing if people can see differently and other weird shit like that, Oof. you know? Oof. <laughs> it's bad. It's real anyway, bad. Don't worry about that, man, because you're going dancing. Oh, okay. yeah. Back at Justice Central, Anderson's greeted by Judge Corey, who we last saw in the Exploding Man story back in 471. Damn. But I last saw in the 1988 sci-fi special, in a story with some questionable artistic value. Oh. In a strange bit of time skipping, though, it seems that this story takes place the day after the events of uh, Judge Dredd in Prague 587 when he fought that lizard guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one, Fox? Yeah, I do. It was called the the Brainstem Man. Yeah. 
they would seem pretty connected just because that one talked a lot about parts of the brain and that's how this story opened as well so if they'd been right next to each other that would have been pretty neat yeah sadly not to be mm. um but that story and that one dread fought a lizard a lizardman that had somehow been made from a regular person was very confusing yeah Corey's doing a psychic investigation to that but hasn't gotten any leads but they're both off shift so let's go hang out um, all right yeah why not let's do yeah. it let's uh shake our cake yeah, they uh, they yes, sign themselves out, and they're headed for the bop shop from now to a question mark. Oh. <laughs> the question mark means we're not sure when it's going to end. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Although in my experience, when something says from like eight to a question mark, it's usually to like ten, because come on. Um, anyway, that guy who got the rage brain thing going on arrives at the bop shop, a big nightclub. Reflecting that he and his wife Mary didn't really like noise, they joined their block's quiet club. Oh, yeah. And they're not even allowed to listen to music and wear soft whatever. He's going to kill somebody. He seems pretty intent yeah. on it. He wonders what she's up to, probably watching television very quietly with the captions on. <laughs> mm-hmm. As he enters the club, abandon ears, all ye who enter. <sighs> and yeah, he's again killing somebody here. In the club, the DJ is Cool Johnny Cool. Last scene, Come on, dri- Johnny Cool. Yeah, we last saw him driving a man with a brain implant that picked up radio waves insane in Prague 506. A lot of callbacks in this Damn. one. Um, inside, we see Anderson and Corey in party dresses busting a move. Oh, they're, yeah. They're looking great, man. They know how to fucking yeah. style it up. Absolutely. And, and it seems like basically the intense sound and rhythms of this nightclub, plus the dancing and stuff, allows these sides to block the, psych- the, the psychic waves that are constantly inundating their brains. I mean, I so guess. Only- I feel like they could have just said everyone's having a great time, so that just blocks it out, you know? But nah, like, I don't know how many clubs you've been to, but there are many odd <laughs> situations where people are not having a great time That's, at clubs. That is very true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, as the music pumps, we see that beard guy in a wheelchair and someone else, maybe a lady, like a nurse type or something, watch through the rage dude's eyes and spot a fella in a ridiculous pompadour. Oh, that guy's going down. No one likes a pomp. Feel the rage. Kill him for his disgusting knee pads. <laughs> I'm a fun person. That's what the button on his knee pad says. Disgusting. The hate is so intense, the size can feel it through the music as the man opens fire on the fop and then uh, shoots him several times in the chest and even shoots his hair. I mean, I guess, you know, if if you didn't feel like his random pang of hatred that sort of flashed in from the psychic whatever, I guess Mm -hmm. the gunshots would have probably given it away. Absolutely. Because he does he get off a open... lot of shots before they get to yeah. him. Yeah. He shoots the, um, some guys in the rest of the club. He even takes a few pops at Cool Johnny. Cool when Anderson finally tackles and disarms him. Son of a but bitch. He's not done shouting his hate. He grabs and starts choking the life out of Anderson. Man, there's one thing I know you probably shouldn't try to choke aside. They'll make you pee your pants like in the movie. Oh, that's embarrassing. Next time, bopped. <laughs> <laughs> fucking telling, I guess. Is she gonna bop him one? Man, someone's gonna bop somebody. That's what I'll, all I'm saying. That's alright. I mean, there were two, at least. Is this one going on for more than four fucking issues? Yeah, I think this one's like an eight progger, I think. <laughs> we're gonna get some twists and turns with this one, actually. Okay, neat. Because it seems like there's yeah. kind of a, there's a side twinge to it, right? Like Mr. Mister Wheelcharious. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, we're definitely like if it had just been a killer at the bop, that'd be like a um, two or three prods yeah. or something. But we're seeing the larger connection to these uh, lizard dudes and then this beardo. Like, you know, we got to investigate hmm. this stuff. There's stories to be told. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as we talk about stories to be told, Fox, that's a great time to also get into some Thrill 2 Tales of the Doghouse. Oh, rad. Okay. I was I was holding my breath there for a moment that we were going to roll into Future Shocks. Very sad. No, f- Future Shocks at the end of the episode, always. Thank you. Uh, so, script robot Stuart Edwards, art robot Simon Jacob, lettering robot Johnny, Ald- Johnny Aldrich. Let's find out what these little puppers are up to. Come on. Yeah. Astronium dogs. Who are they? What do they do? What do they know? Um, <laughs> Let's find out. Let's find out. Yeah, so we got some one-off mutant action here. Uh, first up, we got Fred Chameleon Finnegan from the Cotswold Wastes. Mm. He's a dude with chameleon eyes at the very least, and he's back home with a few other squants squ- uh, going after Billy the Kid, the fastest draw in Cheltenham. This guy really shows off his squanch with his wibbly eyes and stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Finnegan is on the outs with his buddies, though. A dwarf, a dude with a smiley face for a face. And this one dude that's pretty awesome who's got like – who's a knuckle dragger kind of guy. But he instead of legs and he's got just one big right foot. It's real weird. He's he's also got like – I don't know. He's just holding this gun that's just massive because his mitts are so huge. Well, yeah, I mean, he's got a big base of, like, stability, you know, so you can use the big guns. It's um, true. Got one foot. But as they enter the town, Finnegan sees something. He pushed his buddies out of the way. But Smiley gets shot in the chest. Oh, no. No. What you say? I, I, I know you only <sighs> meant well. The guys go for cover, and uh, this leads to a long gunfight. While the Strons are forced to surrender because they run out of ammo. Which, what um, the hell? But when they do, Chameleon, who apparently has full Chameleon powers, comes out of the shadow, naked, and disarms Billy with his lizard tongue. Oh, real weird. <laughs> He's like... <laughs> he, he then shoots Billy. This is for Smiley. And he turns out to be a goat dude. So he was actually Billy the Kid. Because uh, a, a kid's a young goat. You see what I'm talking about here? I love it. I love it. He also was wearing a star in an earlier episode or in an earlier shot where it just says shoot here on the star. <laughs> Good times. So next up, Edward Spud O'Reilly from mm. Dublin nah, mm. is some kind of potato man. And he's headed into a circus with his buddies, a lion dude and a dude with a tiny head. Yeah, they're, after, yeah they're after the Tamboli twins. Inside the tent, they come under fire from the twins. I and mean, Spud goes after one up a pole. <laughs> It's just, we got to get these guys that are very clearly, you know, they're bad dudes. They should be on the run. Nah, man, they're just still hiding out at the circus. They're just doing their they're, their. They're act. on the run with the circus. The circus travels around, uh, you know? I mean, that's fair, but then you just got to look for the circus. Yeah, but these guys are such stone cold killers. No one dares go after them until some strontium dogs roll into town. Oh, God, this does not end well for Potato Man. 
No. Uh, the, so Spud goes after one, and the other two dogs take out the other twin with some nerve gas as Spud chases, you know, and um, the other one goes up into, into the top ropes of the circus. Mm-hmm. Spud tries to swing on a rope after Tamboli, but falls. He lands on the Oof. net, but instead of being caught, he gets strained through it and, like, gets cut into slices. Uh, yeah, Basically, it's, it's julienned by this net. It's really fucking weird that all of this happened. <laughs> I did not understand it, that it happened. It happened, and now you explained it, and now I get it. Well, he's a he's a giant potato man, you know? So yeah, I guess but- it was happened when you put a potato through a potato cutter thing. Anyway, I guess Spud finally had his chips. Oh. And that's an English term, to fail or be defeated, basically. Oh, kind really? Of to poker chips, usually. I love but chips. Because it's about poker chips, but it's the word chips, and then French fries are called chips in England. You see mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, what do you call it? Fine. It's fine. There was another, oh God, I should have looked this up. There was another 2000 AD story where there, there was that, like, uh, there was like a, like a hero that was like a carrot or something, a superhero, mm. or some sort of carrot or vegetable dude. And he also fell into a thing that turned him into processed vegetables. Okay. Weird, weird little theme. Anyway. Ugh. People yeah. veggies are, I mean, wonder if he's tasty then. If he's actually just a hundred percent potato, you could just eat that man. Yeah, I mean, why not? You know, how else would you? How else would you treat him with respect if you didn't deep fry him? But honestly, if I ate him, I don't know if I could ever look him in the eyes again. (laughs) (laughs) That's a potato (laughs) joke. (laughs) All right. That's yeah, good. and you know, as we make jokes about existential horror, Fox, let's go to Thrill Three, Judge Dread. Oh man. This uh, this one starts real good. Yeah. Script robot John Wagner, Alan Grant, art robots Will Simpson, Vanyo, Brendan McCarthy, and, ja- and Jamie Hewlett, and Chris Weston, letter robot Tom Frame. Speaking of eating people. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a sad and cherished moment with my fair Eleanor, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping tapping on my apartment door who could this be at this hour softly tapping at my door tis my fancy nothing more mm-hmm yeah john wagner adapts edgar allen's po edgar allen pose the raven to be about eleanor growth the spider woman and i am here for it folks. yes it's pretty rad it's gross <laughs> it sounds horrible yeah stay tuned for the end of the episode where i'm gonna do a full version of the poem i'm very excited about it Space Spinner 2000 Poetry Corner. Basically, though, thank you. Yeah, Mr. Groth has been feeling real bad about the whole abandoning his wife that turned into a spider and a cursed earth sanitarium thing. Oh, yeah. We don't see the sanitarium, but we definitely see everything that happens post. Yeah, suddenly she returns in full spider mode and murders him in front of their kids. Oh, yeah, eating him. Eating him yeah. whole. Just real uh, uh, hook jaw style, just full panel ooh, of red here ooh, at the ooh, end. Ooh, hook um, jaw. As uh, Dread finally arrives to capture her and lead her away in that thing where you have a stick and you hogtie somebody and they run them through the pole. Yeah, you really can't get your your uh, spider legs out of something like that. I guess just mostly yeah. so the hooks are all tied up in one place. Exactly. TV Trope says this is called a tribal carry because it's usually done in cartoons by like cannibals carrying people to the cookpot. Or in cannibal holocaust. I'm not sure that's the official turn. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, someone cannibal adjacent. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Alan Grant and Vanyo take over from John Wagner and Will Simpson, who the previous one, as William Burroughs, of course, a uh, whatever mix up of William Burroughs, uh, the, uh, the author, wanders the streets of Mega City One, just another face in the crowd. But mm-hmm. there is something different about him, Fox. He's an addict. Oh, yeah. He's all uh, hooked on the S. Exactly. Soon a pusher finds him and offers him a free taste of his drug of choice, some goddamn sugar. Yeah, that's what I mean, man. He can't take any of that Splenda shit, you know? He's got to have the real thing. Get out of here. Exactly. He makes it by when suddenly Judge Dredd appears. The dealers and addicts scatter, and Dredd takes um, takes out the guy both with all the packets and his backup. But you know, with a shot or whatever, but Billiam seems to get away scot-free. In his yeah. rush, however, he smacks right into a dude in the middle of a 63-day silence uh, strike to aid the Northern Territory's Justice Department. Uh-huh. Bill bumps into him and makes him cry out, which breaks the streak, no. and then the protester attacks Billiam. Yes, son um, of a bitch. Dread arrives and gives the protesters 90 days in the cube, Ugh. which you should make it much easier to break the silence streak in there, creep. That's fair. Um, he then calls Billiam back, recognizing him from the drug buy. Mm-hmm. When Bill refuses to strip, Dude, he to be strips searched, him Dredd... nude just by ripping the clothes off of his body. Like, yeah, he, he has on, such just fi- force, it can tear he finds everything the seam off. And Bill's and Bill's clothes and just rips his entire shit, uh, shit off. It's so um, fucking harsh. He still finds no sugar, and when Woros flashes his smile at Dread, the lawman realizes he's got false teeth in. Mm-hmm. He just rips out Billiam's dentures oh. and finds a packet of sugar hidden under the top of him. Mm-hmm. He gets a year in the cubes, plus one for lying, plus another five for running. There's nothing sweet about it. Yeah, man. He'll, uh, he's going to help him get clean. It's a real deal. It's a real <laughs> sentence here. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of rehab facilities in the ISO cubes, Fox. Absolutely. I mean, we definitely, you know. we definitely haven't seen a dude um, be addicted to actual crime come out of the ISO cubes <laughs> and then <laughs> just been sent to just being lobotomized, you know, like yeah. bad times. <laughs> <laughs> so next, a dream team of Brendan McCarthy and J- and Jamie Hewitt take over on this art. This is the best fucking art in the entire month of February. You can definitely see where they trade off here a little bit. Like, definitely the first part, like, this first page is is a Hewitt all over, you know, but I mm-hmm. think, or or Hewlett all over, and then, but I think you might get into, like, uh, the tech division, which seems more McCarthy with the crazy judge helmets oh, man. and stuff. I love all of it. All of yeah. this whole colored comic is the best, definitely. and I want more of it. The credit card also lists Whitaker as an artist, but I'm not clear um, who that is. Um, and this one's called Spock's Mock Jocks. So, you know, uh. this is what you get when you don't just re- eat the real sugar, eat the fake stuff. Well, you know, as long as it's going through the correct trials and all of that, I'm sure these guys are above board. What with their Mock Jock? At the Mock Research Lab, a lab rat named Henry seems to go berserk after eating <laughs> a new formula of chunky, all-synthetic chalk bars. Mm, okay. The rodent gets thwapped to death by factory oh. owner John Spock. God. And he tells the research assistants not to tell anybody about this as the new bars are about to go to market. And even if it is a problem, it only affected one out of every 10,000 rats. So, hey, come on. Just going to... Put this thing in the garbage disposal, which is just a thousand gnashing blades waiting to destroy all evidence. And uh, I'm going to threaten that uh, you'll lose your job if you say anything. So let's get out of here. 
One month later, citizens go in berserk outside the Machok store, and Dredd's on the scene. The wow. man, the dude's gone bite mad. So Dredd cracks him in the teeth, and then the man falls down dead. Dredd calls it in, and it seems the city has already been gripped by at least 117 other unprovoked bite attacks. Every biter dead within minutes. So if we assume... Hope my math. I think my math's right on this. If we assume it's one out of every ten thousand, and we've already had the number four hundred million thrown around, around a couple of times, it's only yes. forty thousand people. Yeah, only. <laughs> it's like a city St- statistic at best. Um, so. Be- because it's going all over, Dread runs the corpse in for a mass dissection that's going on, and we get oh the again, best fucking scene in this entire fucking thing. Just row of dissected corpses. Everybody's got these crazy ass Brad McCarthy tech judge helmets. Like they've all got like a thousand knives attached <laughs> to the helmet well, and, and stuff. The it's knives, awesome. the knives are on tendrils so that they'll like go yeah, like from they, the back and start down stabbing and do things. Stuff. I like to imagine that they're actually really spring-loaded, so you just let go of a knife just <laughs> right back up to your head, which is why you also have to have a visor on the mask. You'll get, like, viscera in your no, eyes I, and I stuff. I mean, obviously, you know? because the, the apron the dude's wearing is just covered in blood and bits. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, it seems like all these people were poisoned by something that induced rage and made them kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all have partially digested Spock's mock chalk bars in their stomachs. Well, this seems to be... Pretty much, uh, yeah, exactly that it's this thing. Exactly. Uh, Dread rolls in and talks to Spock, who admits that, yes, listen, one in every 10,000 people who eat <laughs> have a violent reaction to the mock chalk that we didn't find until they went on sale. And Dread says that this lack of quality assurance and attempts to make a hot fix on your chocolate means oh. that Spock will do life for 150 counts of murder. I like, I like what you're laying down here. <laughs> You got to hot fix that. You got to roll back that chocolate and hot fix it, buddy. That's the answer. <laughs> I've, se- I've seen it happen. You hate to do it, but it's got to be done. Yeah, you know? man. Often. You just got to give a little free chocolate as a compensation. Yeah. You know, like a, a tiny crumb of extra chocolate <laughs> to compensate those inconvenienced, Fox. I know how it works. Exactly. Um, Anyway, Spock doesn't care about this. He's about to die of cancer. Like, within moments, he's about to die of cancer. So, <laughs> screw you, I cheated the Justice Department. <laughs> Dredd won't be cheated out of a sentence, though. Oh, fuck So, no. instead, he just gets, he just snags Spock's wheelchair, probably just hitches it up the back of his law bastard, oh, speeds yeah. over to the Justice Department vaults, where Spock is put into suspended animation until a cure for his cancer can be found, and once he's better, he'll spend the rest of a healthy, natural life in a cube! Oh, yeah. It says murder times 150. Case closed and filed. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's in there next to this one guy that um, Dredd put in the cubes because he shot him and because he, he shot him in the throat and they were needed to like repair that guy's throat. And uh. then once that once they had a cure for that, the guy was eventually just did his time and then went back in time from the future to kill Dredd and Dredd killed him again or, you know, like um, almost killed him again and refroze him. So the same dude is in two different um, drawers in that cryo for stasis oh, facility. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> like, like, a, like, a, like a young version and like, a, like an old version. Like a, like a Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a Bruce Willis sort of, you know, <laughs> frozen next to each other. Time paradox. Don't think about it. Listen, Dread's world is extremely wibbly-wobbly and timey-wimey. That's very true. 
to drive a man crazy. And speaking of which, let's go to Chris Weston on art and the story which we're calling Crazy Barry and Little Mo. <laughs> he's he's pretty crazy, aren't you, Barry? That's right, yeah. Barry. That's right. <laughs> Oh, that's right, other Barry. Uh, <laughs> Mo's a, a little blue man with horns who lives inside the head of a man named Barry Curtin and tells him to do bad things. Yeah, I mean, you know, blame the voice, I yeah. guess. That man, yeah, Barry, and he's got some good smooching lips. Yeah, Barry once resisted Mo, but now he thinks this blue guy has the right idea, and it wouldn't be that big a deal, except Barry Curtin is a judge. Ooh. We see Barry breaking arms and abusing perps when suddenly Dredd arrives on the scene to assist. Mm -hmm. Well, Dredd deals with with a couple of perps. Barry manages to corner another after commandeering a vehicle. Oh, man. He's going to got this guy trapped behind another car, essentially. Barry has a conversation with Mo about using this vehicle to kill the perp instead of taking him in. And indeed, he does just smushing this dude to paste. Oof, real bad. Real, real bad. he He does so just as Dredd arrives on the scene. Barry said it had to be done, but Dredd seems skeptical. Mm-hmm. And later in privacy, Barry and Mo talk, and it seems Dredd has ordered a special psych assessment for on Barry mm. and must have, you know, ratted on him and stuff. I mean, that's that's kind of what Dredd's gonna do. I mean, yeah, he's a stickler for this stuff. And I mean, you know, we've also seen times where Dredd has experienced has said problems and confided in judges and the, like he confided in Judge Morph and he ended up and, and a Morph sent him for um or Morpho sent him for mm-hmm. a psych evaluation. That's what led to the tight boot situation. Yeah, man. Gotta um, get them tight boots. As always. So uh, Barry's worried about this thing because obviously they'll ask him some some psych questions. And I'm worried be- about this thing because it's got a tiny blue butt, but no genitals. Yeah, he'll. He'll have to lie and stuff. But Barry's not worried about this. Or Mo isn't worried. Mo offers to help him pass the test. Like, Barry can sort of, like, go to the background and Mo will take center and, and tell all the lies and stuff. Oh. They are a team, after all. Barry and Mo all the way. I feel like this is going to backfire pretty bad. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this does seem generally worrying. Next time, deep shrink. So fucking weird. I'm into it. I, you know. I want to see where this goes. I still think it's gross. He's got a tiny blue ass. It's a little yeah, much for I me. Mean, there are a couple of disturbing things within these characters, be it Moe's blue ass or, again, like you <laughs> said, uh, uh, Barry's luscious lips and the fact yeah. that they do a lot of <laughs> lot of close-ups on his mouth, on his like, very happily smiling mouth yeah. um, kind of thing. And his like, weird bowl cut. Just a bad choice all around. I mean, if you keep the helmet on, no one could even see the bowl cut. You know, it's just sort of <laughs> the pretty, life. That's fair. So it's just, you know, if you're going through a hair it means, mistake. It means that bowl cuts for him, you know? Like, that's mm. just what, what, what he likes. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. But uh, speaking of uh, machinations and possible insanity, uh, Fox. Ooh. Let's talk Thrill 4, Night Zero. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Script about John Brosnan, art about Kev Hopgood, letting her about Jack Potter. I love this fucking comic so goddamn much. Yeah, it's fun, for it's sure. It's so fun. It's not, it's dumb, but it's not stupid. Yeah. Uh, badass cyborg Tanner and his protectee, Alana Price, are investigating who wants her dead, and it's taking them to the awesome abode of obvious crime boss Nemo. I He's- love that every guy around him, including the dude holding the champagne in a bucket with three glasses, all have scythe hands. That's his signature. You know, he's, yeah, he's got a bunch of, got a bunch of goo- goons with scythe hands. 
He's got an extremely posh underground lair, but it does seem to open up directly into the sewer, so yeah. it's probably pretty smelly undergra- posh underground lair. It could just be that he just doesn't have olfactory sense, you know? That seems pretty likely. We learned that after the big war, when Night City was enclosed in a big black dome, mm-hmm. he managed to get a monopoly on the city's water supply, which has made him very rich. Monopoly by force, specifically. He killed all of the government like that was controlling it or something. Oh, yeah, that's a real different from a lot of other monopolies, which usually Ooh. happen without any death or intrigue. Oh. Nah. <laughs> oh, man, hot takes. Anyway, it seems he does know who wants Alana dead. Their name starts with an M and ends with an O. Tanner's like, uh, Nostradamo? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Skythan cuts off Tanner's cyborg arm, and, Nino, well, and Nemo shoots Alana right in the chest like a common uh, Mahatma, Mahatma meditator <laughs> guy. <laughs> what you say? <laughs> I do have to ask, you know, it seems like he bashes the arm off. He doesn't even do a slice. No, I think the, the scythe just kind of like catches like the connection between the arm yeah, and Tanner's maybe. body. It just looks so weird. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Tanner goes to escape. He deadliest prays his way out, which is, oh. of course, beating people up with his severed arm. <laughs> um <laughs> He oh dives man! Into the How, sewer. I, I hope yeah. I hope people know what the hell that is. Look it up. You need and to. And just to stop himself before he gets reprocessed in the uh, water stuff. He Soon grabs he on to a fucking grate, a bar as the water's flowing, and just like deals with it. Yeah, it's a real good image, actually. Just this flowing water, and then a hand pops up and grabs this grate. Real nice. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Soon Tanner crawls out of the sewer and knocks on Alana's door. Hey, Leroy, the boy, the boy toy, let's have a chat. Yeah, and he's just got the stink lines and poop all over yeah. him. It's great. Covered in sewer, covered in sewer water, only got one arm. He's looking rough. Yeah. And uh, despite all of this, he can still grab a super muscle man with his normal arm and pick him up off the ground and choke him. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. A one-armed Leroy brace or a one-armed Tanner braces Leroy the muscle man, but the himbo has a, a good excuse. It's basically like a lot of his meal ticket. Why would he kill her? Yeah, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Apparently, though, Alana has another clone uh, and well, Leroy gives you know. him the, co- the coat to ever get spun back up. Yeah, might, might as well uh, double check, double double protection. Listen, all, all I'm saying is this is starting to sound a lot like uh, Altered Carbon, you know? It's very... I, I, I got that feeling as well. It's, that's why I said spun up for uh-huh. the... Uh, <laughs> for this uh, third clone being made. Um, oh, man, where am I at? Bah, bah, bah. He, uh... He heads home. He gets a spare arm. He's got at least three. It's rad, and dude. Of course he's got totally. more. And he heads to the cryo-freeze place where Alana's being woken up right at that moment. <gasps> he bursts in, kills the two goons, and they, of course, turn out to be uh, Neo- Nemo's henchmen, non-scythe blades, Yeah, I guess. how would you know if they didn't have the scythe blades? Well, they have funny eyes because um, Tanner takes off their sunglasses and they're like, see, they're clones. Oh, Okay. Or whatever. Um, once Alana has been unfrozen, they head out to the car. She's doing okay, but she is out of extra bodies. Oh. Plus, she knows she's a clone, so she's got a different outlook on things than the actual Alana, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's like, fair. They didn't give this one the Blade Runner memory implants that the, that the previous clone had. You Which, know? 
<laughs> I mean, it was probably pretty expensive. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you do it once, but like you, you got to prep for it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Enough of that, though. It's time for Tanner to get her somewhere safe, and then he has to get violent. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanner arrives back at the H2O bar to brace Dolly, and honestly, like I thought that this was kind of interesting. We've learned that Nemo's all rich because of his control of the water industry, <laughs> so the nature of this H2O bar becomes kind of interesting, right? Exactly. Like it's got more meaning now. Um, he's here for answers, knowing that Dolly set him and Alana up and shoots a goon to prove his point. Mm-hmm. He puts his, his gun finger in the face of Dolly and asks just one question. How do I get topside? Which, I mean, yeah, I guess. He's got a plan. Dolly says it's impossible, but then shifts to if she tells him Nemo will kill her. But Tanner responds with a variation of a, I'm here and I'll kill you for sure, which I really like. Yeah, you know? exactly. Hello. Later at the elevator, Dolly knocks out a guard with her cyber arm and is knocked out in turn by Tanner's cyber arm. Which, <laughs> pretty good stuff uh, because it's nearly the exact same uh, um, uh, like take. Uh, like image? Yeah. yeah. Like Dolly and Tanner clearly bought their cyber arms at, at, at the same store, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, there's got to be not that many, right? I mean, they were in the, they were in the same unit in the army, and presumably they might be like government issue or something like that. So yeah. it, would, it, would, it would it would make sense they'd have similar ones. I wonder if they ever trade. No, because they're probably weighted differently and stuff. Yeah, like I bet that's they're true. Tuned to you or whatever. Yeah, and uh, he's got that t- gun implant that I guess she doesn't. She doesn't seem to have that. No. Later, uh, sorry, Tanner rides an elevator high into the dome over Zero City, where he shoots the dude at the control board and looks out the window on the wide world beyond. Top of the world, ma. Which, uh, I mean, I I know it's coming from this like little window, obviously, but then the dome's like really huge, and the window is really huge. They do this thing where it just like the perspective just seems really off. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of wish we 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 we'd gotten to see what the actual world looks like as well. Yeah, you know? like this was really dying for a moment, like in that movie, uh, Dark City, which mm-hmm. is also about a city in a dome, where you zoom out and you see that, like, whatever, what's going on with that? I guess. Yeah, exactly. I, I would like to see that. But anyway, from the dome control panel, Tanner rigs up some kind of surprise for Nemo, though we aren't told what. And smelling a rat, he puts the corpse of the control panel operator onto the elevator, and the thing just whooshes down like the line's been cut. So anyway, just sends it rocketing to the bottom. So, you know, anyway, that's that's no good. So we look, it, it looks like he's going to have to climb down on this giant tinker toy elevator shaft kind of thing. And man, oh man, I love the action that goes on in this one, which is very bare minimum uh, talking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Partway down, he gets attacked by a bunch of Nemo scythe arm dudes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a very cool high stakes climb fight. I feel like I did a lot of these in like side scroller video games oh, and stuff yeah. like that. You know, Kr- Kratos has killed his share of dudes in a, from a climbing position for sure. <laughs> um, so, un- so. Eventually, the, the the numbers game is getting to him, so Tanner just jumps. He slides down the elevator cable, and only the iron grip of his robot hands lets him break his fall and not just fall to his death. And I guess but, it like it like disintegrates a bit, or like gets all fucked up, right? 
yeah, as he slides down this rope and he's just gripping really hard with the cyber hand to uh, to break himself, it just heats up and stuff. And like the uh, the friction of metal on metal causes it to get red hot and smoke. And by the time he gets to the end, he's safe, but he his hand is basically useless. He just mm. kicks it off. So he's got just kind of a bare arm stump. Um, yeah. And so presumably the, he's also now disarmed because that's his main weapon as well. <laughs> De-handed. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Good. Um, and that's bad times because he lands and finds Nemo with a gun to Alana's head. Man, this woman is really causing some problems here. Before he kills them both, Nemo just wants to know what Tanner did to the control panel. Oh. Next time, high noon in Night Zero. Oh, it was rad. It's so rad, dude. And there's so much fucking action going on. I love this comic book. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it's a fun one. We're getting towards the end of Night Zero. Here. Oh yeah, you feel it. But there will be multiple parts coming back and stuff like that. I'm interested to see what, oh, really? where we're going from here. Yeah, yeah, it's a multi multi story uh, uh story. Oh, that's great. Multi story thrill, I should say. That's so great. I love that. That's good news. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as we talk about uh, maybe things with less thrills, Fox. Oh yeah, significantly. Basically, non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Ah, yeah. This is in- increasingly more and more to say about these ones, Fox. Clock my times here. But uh, <laughs> Prog 612, 2000 AD, featuring Judge Dredd. Yeah, it's the real big. name itself takes center stage in the cover by Cliff Robinson. Yeah. Uh, Tharg's pumped about this prog, especially Anderson and the return of the Spider-Woman. I'm mm-hmm. pretty pumped about those things, too. Uh, there's a picture of Judge Bradley nah. and uh, letters take Tharg too seriously, ask if it's okay for girls to read 2000 AD, Duh. warn Tharg, Tharg not to kill Johnny Alpha or Middenface, and apparently rock music fans also love 2000 AD and Crisis. Oh, okay. Meanwhile, Tharg prefers to listen to the Carpenters at 150,000 RPMs. <laughs> okay. Which is so fast, it would basically turn the record into a drill. Yeah. Uh, the prog ends with a poster for Zenith's The Power and the Glory Tour 89. And Rad. Zenith is coming back in Prog 626. Oh, thank God. Yeah, soon enough, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a couple big things in that prog. Mm. Uh, prog 613, old foes never die. They return to haunt Judge Anderson and a very it's Judge so, Death cover yeah, by Steve cool. Yule. Yeah, Tharg is pumped for Valentine's Day and 2008D's birthday in two progs. Mm-hmm. There's a picture of Nemesis taking a bath sure. and a shiny Judge smiling. It's cute. Judge, have a nice day. Yeah. Letters compliment the more adult, unpredictable nature of the stories of 2000 AD. There's more buzz marketing for the coming comic binders. And the band Bomb the, ba- Bomb the Bass, Bomb the Bass, th- uh, has thanked Dave Gibbons in their album Into the Dragon. Cool. The prog ends with a pensive image of Johnny Alpha sitting on a world of rocky spires as the sun rises. The ghostly image of Wolf Sturmhammer, Hammer's head appearing behind him, done by Mike Collins and Peter Benton, I think. It's uh, one stern hammer sun instead of three wolf moon. You get it. <laughs> or not. It's yep. it's stern. weird having his head just floating. <laughs> it is. It, it's kind of odd. But I mean, you, you got to know what's going on. Then it kind of yeah, makes yeah. sense. You know, so, yeah, stern hammer sun. Won't you come uh, wash away the, the mutants or whatever? Anyway, oh, wow. Uh, proc 614. Stop those chocks. That's a bad uh, move. Drift. Dread tackles the fruit and nut case in a Dread close-up cover by Mick Austin that I'm not so sure about. Um, in the nerve center, 
Tharg talks up the Anderson story, Helios, and the return of Mickey Swift. Uh, okay. There's, yeah, there's pictures of Judge Popeye popping some spinach yeah. and a pretty gross uh, but fun Tharg the alien with a big monster yeah, skull. Yeah, 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 yeah. Letters ask what Tyranny Rex was about. About 28 pages. Oh, uh, there's wow. There's a request for a big Prog 606 cover. That's the Bradley Christmas cover. There's questions about Slane's Tartan, which I believe we'll see in the uh, sci-fi special for this year. Cool. And Tharg basically jo- uh, jokes around and says, only a Rod Stewart and Americans care about what Tartan patterns mean, which is wow. kind of funny. <laughs> um, a teacher is requesting to study Tharg's home planet. And mid-prog, there's a fan art section responding to Tharg's request in Prog 609 for more fan art. We got a, a tribal judge from a reader in Nigeria, Nemesis the Teapot, Judge Onion patrolling your casserole, <laughs> and a monstrous Metallothar. That's really rad. Next, we've got Steve Keaton's vids column celebrating the arrival of satellite TV in the UK. Mm-hmm. There's general discussion of how, this, how the satellite works and what you'll get if you get a dish. Um, besides various movie channels, the article specifically calls out um, old, both old reruns of American shows like Lost in Space, which seems ridic- like a ridiculous thing to say you yeah. want this for. But it also talks about the introduction of U.S. Pro Wrestling. Whoa! Yeah, boy. It's like I've, after all these references, I've been high-fived by uh, 2000 <laughs> Oh, man. They specifically call out Hulk Hogan. There's a picture of Ted DiBiase, Andre the Giant, and Virgil. Um, 89, good wrestling year, two years before the steroids trial. Um, yeah. And, of course, um, satellite, this technology will um, – enabling people in the British Isles to uh, to watch wrestling will del- – directly lead to some of my favorite podcasts so i'm pretty oh, excited man. about this. no it's it got huge there real big yeah big fan of brits talking about american wrestling like it's a good <laughs> it's a good genre um on the inside back cover every dog has his day and feral is coming to town looking real cool in front of a wall of graffiti he's got some uh, cool buttons and a vest a t-shirt and sunglasses this poochy ass bastard yeah like i don't i don't know about this guy <laughs> On the back cover is a star scan of Rogue Trooper by Kevin Walker. The blues are extremely bright here, yeah. like an incandescent rogue on a dark background. Real weird. Yeah. Prog 615, 615, 2008 is celebrating its 12th birthday. All right. Yeah, cool. And it's a, it's a pretty Zar Jazz cover. Yeah, and he's got a, like a little card he's reading and stuff. It's good. Mm-hmm. In the Nerve Center, Tharg mentions that this is in response to a comment in Prog 600 that he missed the 11th birthday. And that he's moved the Prague's birthday to the actual date of the first 2000 AD mm-hmm. instead of a multiple of 52, which would have been like Prague uh, for 24. Yeah. No. I don't know. 464. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, anyway, I like that a, a, a lot more. I, yeah, I, I it's like a lot based easier. On the date. Um, no. Wow. Oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I can't let the math stand, Fox. 12 times 52. Yeah, 624. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. Anyway. Whoa. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> um, there's pictures of Judge Who Framed Roger Which Rabbit. Which is and so judge- rad. I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Definitely. And then there's a Judge Anderson by a friend of the show, Darren Stevens. Super uh, great. Letters theorize that Tharg might be an acronym. We got some Tharg poetry and a question about increased cash prizes, but nobody, because starting this prog, everybody gets a TCV instead. All right. 
Thrill Power Containment Vessel, or TCV, is yeah. a binder, the right size to hold 2080 progs. More details to come. Towards the end of the prog, we get the first installment of the Mix Column by Roxilla. <laughs> Though we'll soon see Roxilla um, as a... Uh, as a, a glamorous lady bot who loves uh, dance music, my understanding is that it's actually glamorous editor bot who loves music, dance music, Alan McKenzie, who's writing wow. this column. <laughs> One way or another, um, I get their names confused with televangelist spouse, spouse Rexella Van Impey. Uh. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know if you looked at this one, Fox. I know maybe a quarter of the artists listed on this thing. Oh, man. It's just a bunch I, of uh, – Some at best. Yeah. It's a bunch of seven and twelve inch singles. None of them are the chart toppers that we use as music here for the show, though. Mm-hmm. Um, more Rexella to come. Okay, then. Yeah, that's fine. After this one, there's an ad for Swifties Return, which is a is a pay is is a panel from next um next episode. Yeah, where just those star guys explain the concept of the story that the lads have to survive four different time zones before they can return home. Reality is the only alternative. <laughs> Hash brands, hash prog, brands. Always. The prog ends with with a 12th anniversary, 12th anniversary uh, square off by Kev Hopgood with an arm wrestling match between Tanner and John Probe, RIP. You know who's going to win. Cybernetics versus Compu Acupuncture. Oh, my friend. <laughs> Compupuncture. Always. Um, yeah, and... Uh, I'm bummed because this is the only one of these, and I would have loved to see more original thrills facing off against new oh, thrills. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would love to like, see like who they pit against Bill Savage. Definitely. I feel like that could be Tanner again, just in the modern ones. Or, or just like, like, or like versus Torquemada versus, <laughs> versus, uh, 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 versus Bill Savage. Ooh, exciting. Right? Or something like that. Like yeah, British, I mean, I British boys square off. Or, or, yeah. Oi boy versus glory boy. <laughs> Definitely. And speaking of blast from the past, Fox. Yeah. Thrill five. Shock. Oh, yeah. I wasn't sure whether to list this one as a future shock or not, but I think it's, it's okay for a standalone. It's, it's not. It is its own thing. It's a it's a dingus's robo tale, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, scripture about Steve McManus as Rogan and Kev O'Neill. Or, or about Kev O'Neill and about Tony Jacob. So, like the Walters story last episode, this story first appeared in the 1981 Judge Dread Annual, our episode 54, mm-hmm. though this one's much better than the Walters story. I mean, everything is better than Walter. It's true. This is the simple tale of a man named Mike buying some old war droid parts from a dude specializing in souvenirs from Judge Dredd's Cursed Earth trip for his mm-hmm. artist girlfriend. Mike goes back, um, heads back out and leaves his girl, Bex, with the droid, which has now regained power and reassembled itself inside the bag of a vacuum cleaner. Oh, yeah. Not what good. Follows is pre- yeah, what follows is pretty standard monster movie stuff. Uh, Begs hides from the robot and tries to outsmart it, blinding it with art acid and stuff. That's art acid as opposed to danger <laughs> acid. Um, and then tricks its heat sensors with the freezer. Jim returns to their apartment in the Andy Warhol block and goes to kiss Bex, but it's actually the war droid wearing her hair. The kiss of death. <laughs> I'll give you a kiss. A kiss of death. <laughs> and I'll mention again, this comic would later be adapted into the movie Hardware, which Ugh. I think is best known for helping to establish the reputation of director Richard Stanley, who would later go insane making the movie The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, gosh. I definitely recommend the documentary about that, Lost Soul. And Interesting. Th- and, 
And that movie might be worth a, a commentary track from us someday, Ooh. I think. It's actually moderately – it's an adaption of a 2000 AD comic, which is not a common thing, I must say. Yeah, why not? Definitely. And on the topic of why not, Fox – Oh. On the topic of the constant uh, invisible co-host of this show, Podcat, let's talk <laughs> about <laughs> Thrill 6, Zippy Couriers. Ooh, boy. Script about Hillary Robinson, art about Graham Higgins, art le- letting robot John Aldrich. It's cute. Let's get zippy. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Shauna McCullough is delivering a package to Domestics Inc., cross infection guaranteed. Oh it's supposed God. to be cash on delivery, but the boss, Mr. Shyster, says the check is in the mail. I feel like uh, everything's in the name on that one. Indeed. They go back and forth a bit. He opens his wallet and a moth literally flies out of it mm. pretty solid. Um, eventually, he tries to pay her with a cute kitten, but it's no good. They keep arguing because the kitten makes itself at home in McCullough's <laughs> shoulders and inside her hair. And after Shyster threatens her, the cat springs into action, attacking Shyster and forcing him to pay Shauna at claw point. Hey, man, I'll tear out your eyes with my adorable kitty claws. And they're way sharp That's- when they're tiny, so... Seriously, she gets the money and the new team heads out. Back on the ship, Sean asks the cat what's up with his whole deal, what with the talking and all. And the cat instead just agrees to come on as Shauna's business advisor. She says yes, and the cat introduces himself. Call me Butch. Which, see, yeah, that's a cute name for a little baby cat. It's fine. Zippy Couriers will return in 618. Okay. So yeah, the cat this can actually fun. come back? Oh, yeah. The cat's the main character in this comic. Rad. Um, I'll say, I will say that, like, the problem with Zippy Couriers is just that it's, like, you know how, how we've complimented, like, a stainless steel rat for being, like, light and breezy, kind yeah. of? Like, Zippy Couriers is maybe too light and too breezy, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, man. All right. Like, I like it, but, man, there's just a lot of panels with a lot of open space and just kind of, you know... And I mean, it's, it's clearly, yeah. Oh it's, no, it's, especially it's, like with the office, there's just like no decor anywhere. Yeah, it's just got a very different tone than the rest of the comic. I mm. guess it's fine. Um, yeah, no, it's it's great. I'm I'm fine with it. Whatever. I'm just saying it's got like you know, it's got some. It stands out a little bit. Is what I'm yeah, to say. no, I'm definitely there with you. <laughs> and speaking of standing out and standing up, Fox. Okay. Thrill Seven Swifties return. Oh, speaking of something that is overly cluttered. Yeah, this is kind of the opposite, you know. Um, Skeptor about Peter Milligan, art about Jamie Hewlett, letting her about Tom Frame. Cinnerer Loafer presents Swifty's Return. Uh, first time in the prog for Hewlett. Uh, this mm-hmm. comes, this story came before his work on Dread in the same prog that we talked about earlier. Oh, interesting. Hewlett's best known, of course, is the co-creator of both Tank Girl and the band Gorillaz. Yeah. Working in 2000 AD is like his first kind of mainstream work, I guess. Mm-hmm. He'd first been published like Tank Girl started in October of 1988 so in the magazine good. Deadline. Um, and Deadline was created actually by artists uh, Brett Ewens and Steve Dillon. And uh, this seems like, like a, pr- a proving ground for a lot of young British talent, actually. Like, you know, like this is sort of seeing some of their buddies sort of being brought in to do 2000 AD work, basically. Oh, man, that's rad. Yeah, I'd love to to check out Deadline sometime. It seems like it's really interesting just in this like late late 80s like British comic scene. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention, I mean, if it's more of this, this art's great. 
Yeah, Hewlett will also do a, a Hooligan's haircut in 2000 AD, which is a real high point for just raw surrealism in the prom. It's going to be real, really great. Great. Anyway, we last met Mickey Swifty Swift uh, getting a ticket to a party in the 25th century and just doing a lot of complex time travel job hunting in Prague 499 in late 1986. Mm-hmm. Now, he's breaking into a house with his mate Clinton. Clinton's come up in the world. He even got a job as a trainee assistant stand-in part-time temporary manager at the McDog Burgers. <laughs> and Swifty was working there, too, as he needed money to emigrate, especially after his girlfriend Wendy left him for some bloke that goes to wine bars. It's uh. always wine, isn't it? Never beer, always wine. What do you want in your cereal? Oh, I'll have some wine, please. <laughs> Drink beer like every other cold-blooded American. A few, or, uh, you know, uh, what, what What was Lister? A, a, liter, a Liverpudlian? But anyway, um, oh. a few days later, his girl and her new boyfriend came to Mackers, and he and a Swifty messed with his food, gave him an ultra-hot burger, but then got fired for it. Yeah, I mean, that's what's going to happen, because it turns out that's his uncle who owns the restaurant. Yeah. He and Clinton got fired. And man, how will, how will Clinton ever become a puppy at this rate? Oh, man, it's going to be real easy. It's a black yuppie for the record. Um, it seems Wendy will be at, at this party tonight. And that's why Swifty and Clinton are now breaking into it. They bust in, mess with her boyfriend still in the toilet from the uh, from the burger. <laughs> Uh, a melee breaks out and pursued by posh assholes, Swifty checks his pockets <laughs> and finds that invitation to the party in the future. Yeah, it was right next to some old shoot up gum and a uh, signed photo of Richard Branson. <laughs> Live it up. They're suddenly in the future and, and we see Tank Girl making a little uh, 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 guest appearance in the side so panel. So rad. Oi. The future. The future seems real weird. A lady bumps into a, uh, and they find, and they finally bump into Sharon, who we met in sooner or later. She's heading off to the Hanging Gardens of Babylon in a kind of a traffic cone Madonna bra, <laughs> but says Swifty and Clinton should enjoy themselves at the party, and they head in. As they go, they get the lowdown. Each time has a different. Each room goes to a different time. Check it out, but don't take anything, or it could mess up the future. Not even a signed photo of Richard Branson. <laughs> They head out wild, free, and stupid, but don't like what they see. Oh no, it gets uh, gets a little dicey first first run of things. It seems the lads have either arrived at a Monday Club Fantasy Island, and the Monday Club, just so you know, this is a joke in the in the the Prague, but it was Mm -hmm. a uh, it's a conservative political pressure group, basically. Okay. but they've either arrived to that or they're in the antebellum U.S. South, where a white dude with dreadlocks and a black dude with any haircut is not super duper welcome. <laughs> it seems the actual time party is dropping randoms into crappy times and seeing well, how, they, how they survive them. That's, uh, that's not a very fun party, is it? I mean, it's fun if you're watching it. Oh, God, what a dick move. Hey, everyone's a dick in the 25th century, you know? Yeah, it feels um, like... Clinton and Swifty have to wait 24 hours until they can return to the relative safety of the far future. Mm-hmm. Extremely bad times. We got to run. Yeah, but uh, I guess we're going to run while getting shot at and fall into the swamp. <laughs> yeah, they, they make it to a forest. Swifty runs into a swamp a, and a mud-covered Swift. Mr. Swift is tossed into a, into, a car, into a cart along with Clinton and another slave. And now they're to be hung tomorrow as oh. a lesson to the rest. Cheesy Pete. 
Luckily, Clinton has a plan. They fake a two-man slave revolt and knock a guard out and leg it. <laughs> but as they do, Clinton has an attack of conscience. Conscience. They can't just let all those other slaves be killed in their place. So instead, they break back into their, into their cage and the next morning are being led by rednecks to the gallows. Luckily. Okay. Clinton has another plan. Okay. He'll drop his keys, which he, his car keys, which have a special alarm on them that makes a really loud, uh, consistent noise when you whistle. They're like, if, you find, if you've lost them, you can whistle and they'll make a noise and you can find them. Okay. And that'll scare these primitive jack and apes and uh, <laughs> let them escape. Okay. Um, the plan goes into action, but man, it's just real hard to whistle what with all the running and the threatening of death and the so forth and so on. Oh, my God. They're like me trying to whistle. There's a lot of like, I can't do it. Um, this is why we're a team. Anyway, this could be bad. Next time, Kitch Man, Paw Man. Well, I don't. I. <laughs> all right. I mean, it's fine. It's a lot. A lot going on. I mean, it's something that I can't really explain, but just every pan, every page, every panel almost has just maybe not joke, just little extra things happening in them. Yeah. Like little monsters running around. Actually, a lot of like bombs and things like that just kind of flying through the background and things like that. <laughs> it's uh, it's um, pretty all right. It's a real active, again, like Hewlett's got, a re- got this really raw style that I mm. really like and that um, I think – does all is is another one of these ones that that really stands out in the comic? You know, I mean, yeah. it's like this in his dread in his dread work as well. Oh actually, my God, that, just that, sort that of, was amazing. It just looks different than what we're used to in the pages of the comic, which so is striking. pretty cool. Yeah, love it. Next, next up, uh, we're just uh, sort of rounding things off here, Fox. Let's get back into the final solution with Thrill Eight Strontium Dog. Oh my God. Feels like a fucking marathon. <laughs> we, got a, we got a lot going on. Still got, still got the final stretch here, buddy. Oh. Uh, script wrote Alan Grant, art wrote about Simon Harrison, letting her about Gordon Robson as kid. At the Strontium Dog training facility, Farrell has just killed a new church goon. Well, and one of a team come to take the head trainer, Napoleon, um, away. Farrell suggests they kill the rest of the goons. The two, they're currently unconscious. And we get some general backstory here that Farrell hates norms, but still somehow can't com- com- bring himself to commit cold-blooded murder. Whoa. Instead, Farrell shoots upwards, scaring everybody else off and taking the rap on himself, including like knocking out the trainer to f- deflect his suspicion. Yeah, he's like, oh, like they'll they if they if I let you go, they'll 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 kill me too. And he's like, no, just tell them I beat you up. And he's like, no, they won't believe that. So then Farrell just like fucking cold cocks him across the face. Yep, and he's like now they will. Um, As whatever. he puts on fucking sunglasses and tries to I, like, god damn you. Farrell's so cool. I'm really so excited about this new character. I We learned that, ironically, the leader of the new church strike team is called Lord Farrell. Uh-huh. So it's sort of Farrell, whatever. Um, he's rounding up all the leaders of the Wilton, Milton Keynes community, mutant rights activists, uh, teachers, politicians. And when Farrell gets news – and when Farrell gets news of Farrell's actions, he orders him found and executed. Okay. Meanwhile, Billy Glum, head of the Milton Keynes Residence Association, who we once saw on a space command, uh, space station casino trying to win money <laughs> for Milton Keynes, which Johnny Alpha helped him out with, mm-hmm. is trying to radio news of all this back to the doghouse, but the feed goes dead. Yeah, instead, just like Doofy Dooferson 
Fucking yeah. short shortwave sim, a, 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 a radio mutant is concerned by all this I and mean, goes to talk about it to Johnny Alpha, who's currently in the brig for fighting, as seen in the last section of the story. Yeah. Shortwave's explained the situation, and Johnny is incensed that Sagan and his church keep making problems for mutants. What's he planning anyway? What's going on here? He's looking real pissed. There's only one way to find out. He grabs Shortwaves and turns his evil eyes upon him. Time to alpha wave your brain, bitch. Next time, Feral Fury. All right. Good setup. Excited to see where these things go. You know. Yeah, I'm pretty ready for, yeah, for us to keep going and just to learn some more about what these guys' plan is. We still don't really know Mm-mm. what the new church's plan is, and I'm very interested to see what that is. That's, there's a lot of setup going on here, which, you know, just De- means you get to see some evil dudery. Yeah, it's fine. Like, you know, there's a lot of setup. I wish we were kind of, like, there's also gaps, which make the fact that we're sort of yeah. spending all this time setting things up kind of a bummer. Like, I really... Like if if a story has to has gaps, my 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 dream is that you kind of have one section that sets things up, and you get to the big cliffhanger of the reveal of what's happening, and then you have a break, and then you come back and deal with that or something like that. I don't yeah. know. Like 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 a mid setup break is suboptimal. That's what I'm trying to I, say. I am there with you on that one. And on the topic of things that are suboptimal, Fox, <laughs> let's do it. Thrill nine, you judge your hawks. Thanks. I hate it. All right, got a whole bunch here. Uh, first up, The Keepsake, script about Nicholas Barber, art about Kevin Walker, letter about John Aldrich. Um, pretty smooth time traveler, Horatio Heller, says howdy and explains the time traveler's got a bad rap for using time travel to steal things. But he'd never do that. Come on, he's a good guy. But there was that time he materialized on ancient Earth and a familiar-looking lady helped him out. Mm-hmm. They spent a lot of time together and fell in love, but Horatio had to ter- return to his own time. Now he just wants a keepsake of their time together and realizes there's a painting of her out there. He goes to snag it, and it's only the bloody Mona Lisa. Uh, uh, next up. <laughs> <laughs> At Twilight's Last Gleaming. Oh. <laughs> Scripture about John Tomlinson. Art about Simon Baskerville. Letting her about John Aldrich. Let me get... Hold on for a second. Let, let, let me get prepped for this one, Fox. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Submitted for your approval, Theo Carew lies in a psychiatrist's office and asks the doctor if he's the, if he's seen the Twilight Zone television show because Theo is being haunted by its host, Rod Serling. It seems the narrator appeared at random moments in Theo's life and drove him into a pit of madness. He came unable to go to the store, get work, or even go to sleep without the Emmy and Peabody Award-winning writer appearing and narrating the situation. At the very, at that very moment, the psychiatrist turns and is none other than Rod Serling himself. Theo attacks TV Guide's greatest sci-fi legend and seems to transform. Suddenly, Rod Serling is free of his curse, and Theo Caru is the new host of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> that was fucking excellent. Ten out of ten. Did wow, that was, that was good. Gonna drop the music under there when we when the show goes out. I'm very he's, excited about he's it. He's now free of his curse. <laughs> Yeah, just curse. Well, you know, they never explained why no, Rod no, Serling that's, was showing that's so up and much narrating of a, things well, in the Twilight I mean, Zone. You know? To be perfectly honest, they could have cut out all of the text and just put what you did in there. That would have been rad. Yeah, like I wish it, you know, 
it's tough because I wish there, were, there was more narration and, and they'd done some more tricks on like the different ways that Rod Serling introduced the, the Twilight Zone. Because mm-hmm. like there was a lot of stuff of submitted for your approval and stuff. But it was also, you know, like please, enclosed, please find one, um, you know, one Alvin Marshall, like American yeah. astronaut or something like that. You know, like just various fun ways of introducing the, the, the show and stuff. Mm. Big Twilight Zone fan. Uh, next up. Horn of Plenty. Okay. Script by Kelvin Gosnell. Art robot John Higgins. Early John Higgins here. Letting robot Peter Knight. Um, another tale from the archives. <sighs> this one first appeared in Prague 249, our episode 76. This was Joe like Black the, Adventure. Yeah, it was the it was Joe Black of Pest. Pest Crusaders working overtime, fighting crime. Yeah, Joe Black's a Star Scout for the Planetary Exploration and Survey Trust. Pest. And, you know, he's got these misadventures on the outskirts of known space, etc. Today he's responding to a distress signal from a dude in a crashed ship. He wants Joe to recover the ship from the bottom of a canyon. And with a hefty reward offered, he agrees. So the journey's pretty rough. There's some deadly birds and angry space scorpions and so on. Mm-hmm. Joe recovers the ship and flies it back to the guy, noting that the ship's full of art and treasure. Sweet. The man explains that it's all thanks to this device he has that can make a copy of anything. When he offers him something from inside the ship, Joe, of course, takes the device. Yeah, why wouldn't you? And the man agrees, but first makes a copy of the machine itself. Um, This fact that the machine can make a copy of itself, plus the fact that it can't make straight copies of bars of gold or something, means that's not really a good way to get rich. Yeah. But it is a great way to make some infinite cups of excellent coffee. (laughs) And sometimes that's enough. Yeah. All right. I did it all for the coffee. Back um, anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Huh? Next one. Pollution. Script robot Hillary Robinson. Art robot Kevin Walker. Oh, my Walker. God. Robot Johnny Aldrich. Some I nice feel... art drawing here oh, in this sh- one. Oh, sure. I just also feel like this is one of those top tens that they've done. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Earth's pretty nice, buddy. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, Except correct. for these damn humans. We can also agree on that. Pretty They're always pesky. dirtying up the place, poisoning the air and water, dropping nukes, having car accidents. We've already, <laughs> we're already about to kill the eagles, pandas, and whales. Surely it's only a matter of time before humanity leaves the planet and pollutes the rest of the universe, right? Yeah, okay. No way, pal, because the Galactic Environmental Health Department has surrounded our globe in a pollution seal to shut us in. No, that's surprising. I'm going to break that seal and kill all you damn aliens. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I mean, all you got to do is make a, a, a galactic black hole bypass, right? Yeah, or attach a knife to the front of my spaceship. Oh, that's a good one. I bet you that just cuts through just about... I mean, if you're going real fast, that knife's going to cut through anything, bud. And once the spaceships have knives, the space force is all the more required, Fox. I know. We're really just arming the civilian population to fight fight the galactic man. Space knife crime is a, is a poison upon our nation, Fox. Um... <laughs> Anyway, uh, listen. Final our future- founding, <laughs> our founding Galactic Fathers made it our 422nd right to uh, bear spaceships bearing knives, and right goddamn it, space if, arms. Yeah, if you're not, if you're gonna try and take away that freedom from me, man, you can go live in another gosh darn gal galactic existence somewhere. That's right. 
Final stories, fast forward. Script about Hillary Robinson and Dee Franks. Art about John McRae. Letting her about Johnny Aldrich. First time in the Prague for John McRae, who will also do a lot of work in Crisis as well um, as uh, as well as 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Stephen Marshall is a lab assistant, but not super stoked about it. Uh, who is, really? Yeah, it seems the scientist he works for, though, has developed time travel. So Stephen sees the natural application of this. Sure. Robbing a bank and using the, tele- the time machine to teleport ten- 100 years of the future to escape prosecution. I mean, I don't feel like that's a great idea, but sure. Yep. Um, anyway, the plan does seem to work. I really like McRae's uh, action-packed art style here. He hits the button and finds himself in the year 2089, but the building he hit the button in has been demolished for renovation, and he falls to his death. Oh, no. no. Like right into quick concrete or whatever. (laughs) Plan out your time crimes. I mean, yeah, it's not like he didn't have time to plan. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'd say also, man. like, the other ill, Ill, ill-timed part of this is, like, is cash going to be worth any? Is the cash you take going to be worth anything in 100 years? I mean, there's so many problems. Like, there's a reason the man's not a scientist, right? Smarter move would be to rob a bank and then deposit the money you take in another bank so it can accrue interest over those 100 years. Yeah, what's up, Biff? Think it over. I mean, that's... That, anyway. That is exactly how Back to the Future 2 exists. No, it's because he got that almanac, buddy. I know. That's what I'm saying. He did a smart, a little bit of a smart, and then he took that money and then kept it. Well, I mean, he just like made a shitload of money off of that. General time travel intelligence as opposed to actually taking advantage of of, of long-term interest. Yeah, so as as dumb as everybody and horrible as, as everybody says Biff is, Biff did a smart, so... I mean, he did a smart by actualizing a plan that Michael J. Fox figured out. Oh, know, for yeah. The and speaking of actualiz- actualization, Fox, oh what God. were your top and bottom thrills this month? Oh, I mean, this this is pretty easy for me. So, like, my top is clearly going to be Night Zero because it's the best and guys had scythe arms. And then also that chick just kept getting shot and then, his, like, his arm was <laughs> fucking cut off. But don't worry, he's got, like, other arms. Then he just, like, punched his way through things and, like, shot a guy. Then shot another guy with his finger. And just, like, shit kept going on. You're like, oh, what's his plan? Like, at the top of the dome, you don't know. And then you kind of don't get why the other guy's plan is whatever. And that chick's back in custody. And all of the things in between there was odd. He had a fucking climb fight. He had a climb yeah. fight. It's, like, hand busted because of the fucking... It was great. It's like watching Bill Savage again. He's rad. I love him. I love Night Zero. Awesome. Uh, for bottom... uh. But I'm sorry, it's just got to be future shocks and like throwbacks and shit like that. All of that's bad. <laughs> All of that's because the rest of this is so good. Like, I'm not going to punish yeah. Judge Dredd. Like, who does that? And I'm not going to punish Judge Anderson because she's amazing. I'm not going to punish uh, uh, Strontium Dogs. I actually like Tales from the Doghouse, and I'm excited to see where the final solution goes. I'm not going to punish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, Swifty. He's rad. I like his art. Yeah. I like I like the whole thing that's going on. I'm curious about where it's going. So, like, you know, there's only one negative here. And, of course, I'm going to take that way out because, buddy, until these things go away and I have to actually make, like, fucking hard decisions, I'm not going to. Yeah. I mean, once there's six future shocks in an episode, then I think they, they, become, <laughs> they, they make themselves fair game. Yeah. You know? You know? It's got a big target on its back. And I'm sorry, guys. I'm sure you worked really hard on your bad stories. Uh, You know, it's hard to write horrible just as it is to write good. But, you know, whatever. There. 
anyway, Conrad, tell me why you agree mm. with both of my choices. <laughs> I mean, I'll certainly join you with future shocks on the bottom. I'll get out of here. Um, I will say, luckily, we are nearing the end of this period, I believe. Um, okay. Next episode, we will have some uh, daily dreads. Okay. But um, otherwise, we should be pretty mostly clear of like archives stuff, especially. I think okay, we're getting to that God. point. Um, and then um, – I think for and, and also just a, a general lessening of future shocks as well. Um, I think for my top, ooh, ooh. for me, it's really close between uh, Night Zero and Judge Dread. Oh, I know. Um, I really loved Return of the Spider Woman. I thought that um, like Spock's Mox Chalk was, mm-hmm. was was a lot of fun. Even just the uh, the one where the w- 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 with a sugar addict. Was, oh, sure. Um, was just some fun, just sort of day in the life of, of Mega City One stuff. And Barry and Moe is kind of cute, if not a little odd, though. I mean, Barry and Moe's fun and honestly, like, kind of a a semi-long-term plot line that, that will happen uh, in, in Dread. Oh, really? So, yeah, we'll see some st- – I mean, we'll see next episode and then sort, 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 sort of going forward. So, it's, it's kind of an important Dread. But – Ooh. I think I'm going to have to say Night Zero. <laughs> Solidarity. Solidarity. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, I mean, Night Zero really, like, more than Dread, of course, which is just sort of four disconnected plots. Mm-hmm. Um, Night Zero does a really good job of just telling one story for four progs. Like, that's consistently exciting. That has all these, like, twists and turns. Um, I think Kev Hopgood, like, his art's a little rough, but I think it's also got this great noir element and stuff like that you know he, he oh re- yeah they've really established this setting of night zero and these characters that you're interested in like it does a real some really fun stuff like with sci-fi i want to say yeah you Just, know smashing it all together into this hot yeah, like mess the, yeah like the idea of being rich from water purification like the complications of having a clone even with your memories and stuff like that mm-hmm. um all that stuff's really interesting. I think it's a really cool, like, thing to have in a story in here. So, I th- you know, it's just a, a complete sci-fi story that, you know, comes in for four progs and tells a rip-roaring adventure that is fun to go along with. So, I think it's hard for me to not say that, it, that it's the top thrill for this one. And man, oh man, I forgot to mention, do you know why he threw the guy down onto the elevator? Why? Because he sniffed and he smelt the dudes. Oh, that's right. He did yeah, it. He, he did a smell sniff, powers. sniff, and he's like, "Oh, I smell those nasty bastards." <laughs> he smells them coming. Although, although re- remember, he also identified that his cab had been taken and replaced oh, yeah. by that collapsing cab. He, oh, that's right. Different. He's got olfactory super senses. He's got offens- olfactory super senses. That's how he always knows when stinky boys are coming to get him. Thrill power, more like smill power. <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> hey, listen, like like my uh like my sensei used to say, anything rhymes if you're willing to mispronounce it enough. Oh um, <laughs> and on that note, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacebrain2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Spacebrain2K. If you also go to Spacebrain2000 and find us there. 
<gasps> Come back next week. Whoa. As I increase our workload for a bit of fancy oh, podcasting oh, later God. in the year. No. A five progger with Anderson no! investigating an angry man. Barry and Mo going a little crazy. We'll learn about the law in Mecca City One. Johnny and Farrell have a meet cute, and oh. Medevac three one eight flies in to take care of any wounded. What? That's what? right. Un- until then, I'm Conrad. He's Fox, and we are Space Spinner two thousand. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a sad and cherished moments with my fair Lenore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently tapping, tapping on my apartment door. Who could this be at this hour, softly tapping at my door? Tis my fancy, nothing more. Yet I could not shake this feeling, nameless dread upon me stealing, thoughts that set my blood congealing like death's shadow passing o'er. While I checked my children sleeping, even as I felt it creeping, felt it scuttling, scratching, scraping like a crab upon the shore, felt the malice from it seeping as it stole towards my door. This I felt, and nothing more. Long I stood there, wondering, fearing, till I felt the shadow nearing, listening for its step, and hearing silence, nothing more. Then to my eyes there came a sighting as of someone gently crying, crying for a love left undying, left in shards upon the floor, and a voice so full of sorrow for it, for the times that were before, and the voice cried nevermore. Suddenly my heart ceased beating, from beyond the curtains pleading, I caught a sound so swift and fleeting, yet to shoot me to the core. There! There the sound it came again, a scratching at my window pane that turned to ice my every vein and and froze me to the floor. Be still, my trembling nerves, I said. We're on the fiftieth floor. Tis the wind and nothing more. When at last my soul grew stronger, hesitating no longer, I steeled my nerve and strode across, determined to explore. Yet even as I grasped the curtain, some inner sense made me feel certain. Behind those drapes there lurked some foul, demonic carnivore. But fevered glimpse of hell could, ma- could not match the hideous thing I saw. Good grud, Eleanor! As her ghastly legs entwined me, while her jaws to hell consigned me, I heard my darling's voice remind me, sacred promises of yore. Bonds that time could never sever, love that surely was forever, eternities we'd spend together. Ah yes, these words I swore, these promises that once I gave my darling Eleanor. And the voice said nevermore. And that is my poem. Thank you for coming to the talent show tonight. Oh, yeah, daddy-o. <laughs> <laughs>